Lecture Notes, Descartes, The Skeptical Method, Descartes' Project. In addition to being an important philosopher, Descartes was also a famous and important mathematician. Have you ever had to graph anything on x and y coordinates in math class? That graphing method, the Cartesian plane, was invented by Descartes. I think Descartes' interest in math is actually very relevant to his philosophical work. And before I go on, a side note, Cartesian, I just said the Cartesian plane, it's actually an adjectival form of Descartes. So if I describe a book as Cartesian, I'm saying the book is like the thought of Descartes or it reminds me of Descartes. So math, at least lower level math, is wonderfully certain. There is little room for ambiguity. Some of you might even love that about math. Once you've found the correct answer, that's it. You've got it right. And furthermore, you can prove to yourself and to others that it's right. One way to think about Descartes' philosophy is to understand him as looking for this same kind of certainty and proof with respect to all other beliefs. Descartes wrote down his philosophy and his philosophical views in kind of like a philosophical journal. He writes as if he's putting himself through a multi-day spiritual retreat and arguably his writing was influenced by the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola. Remember, Descartes was Catholic. The spiritual exercises are a series of reflections and meditations to put yourself through in order to grow spiritually. And I like to think of Descartes' writings as a philosophical analogy of this. He's reflecting through his beliefs and aiming to grow in knowledge. Now, Probably Descartes didn't literally put himself through a multi-day devotional practice of examination and reflection on his beliefs, but this personal, almost journal-like style of literature fits his philosophical project very well. I've already asked you to practice this kind of reflection in your Descartes, re Descartes reflection as exercise assignment. Um, and if you haven't already completed that assignment, I would strongly recommend that you set aside these notes and go back and complete that assignment first. I've designed it so that you'll get more out of the lecture notes if you've done the assignment first. So what specifically was Descartes' project in this philosophical, epistemological reflection he put himself through? Consider what he writes early on in his book, Meditations on First Philosophy. Some years ago, I was struck by the large number of falsehoods that I had accepted as true in my childhood. I realized that it was necessary once in the course of my life to demolish everything completely and start right from the foundations. Later on, he uses the analogy of a bucket of apples that contains some moldy apples. If you had such a bucket of apples, the only way to avoid contaminating all of the apples would be to dump out the bucket entirely, remove the moldy apples, and then put the good apples back in the bucket. Descartes wants to do this just with beliefs. He realized that he had some false beliefs, some moldy apples, and his task was to sit down, root out the bad beliefs, and get to a state of more pure knowledge. However, Descartes isn't just going to delicately pick out the bad apples. I also like to use the metaphor of an old house with Descartes. So rather than take out a wall here, replace some siding there, Descartes' approach to the house, aka his beliefs, is total demolition. He wants to build up again from the foundations, believing only those things that are certainly true. 
The method Descartes uses to accomplish this project is known as the method of doubt or methodological skepticism. Descartes said that certainty is being unable to doubt. Something that is indubitable, means it cannot possibly be doubted, is certain. And Descartes wanted all of his beliefs to be certain. Again, think math. <laughs> In order to achieve certainty about all of our beliefs, Descartes instructed us to apply rigorous doubt to all of our beliefs. He says that if it's possible to doubt our beliefs, even just a tiny smidge of doubt, we should treat them as false. However, there's an important caveat. This does not mean that Descartes thinks they are actually false. The point is that we treat them as false until we found a foundation that is impossible to doubt, and then we build up again from that. Again, it's like we've dumped out the apples, and even the good apples are temporarily set aside while we look for the moldy ones. So in this sense, Descartes is not a skeptic. He does not want to end up at a point of skepticism, but he uses skepticism as a method for achieving true and indubitable knowledge. This is a point that it's actually very easy to confuse. And when I first encountered Descartes as a freshman in college, I was confused on this point. I thought that Descartes was a skeptic and it took me a second to kind of figure that out and work it out in my head. So let's get started on the project. I'm going to divvy up Descartes' project into steps, but to be clear, these are steps I'm imposing on Descartes. You won't literally find these steps or stages in his writings. So step one, doubt the senses. If we're combing through our beliefs, trying to root out false ones, where should we start? Remember that in particular, we're looking for beliefs that cannot possibly be doubted. Any candidates? What belief should we start with? Well. How about our senses and sensory knowledge? Surely they're certain, right? When I've graded Descartes reflection exercises in the past, students normally tell me they're very certain about their perceptual beliefs. How can they possibly doubt what's right in front of them? We'll use me as an example. I'm sitting in my office and my laptop is on a hard gray desk. Surely this is indubitable. How could I doubt what my senses tell me? Surely I have certain knowledge that I'm working in my office next to a hard gray desk. Well, not so fast. Descartes begins by pointing out that our senses are unreliable. Consider optical illusions or the challenge of perspective. In the right circumstances, our senses betray us. Straight things look bent, round things look oval, square things look round. In the right light, mountains look purple. The sun looks small because it's so far away. Dresses can look white and gold and black and blue to different people. Furthermore, at any given moment, what we think we are sensing might actually be the result of a dream. For example, I've had dreams before in which I was at work. Descartes argues that it's impossible to rule out the possibility that right now I am in a dream. Anything I would cite as evidence would be something that could also be true in a dream. So if I say, oh, I see the desk, I hear it, I feel it. That is, if I cite my experience of the desk as evidence, it would look, sound, feel exactly the same in my dream. Except in my dream, there is no real desk, just like a memory or an illusion of my experience of a desk. Finally, our senses can also be deceived through hallucinations. Although rarer than optical illusions or dreaming, 
Someone, for example, with untreated schizophrenia can be totally convinced that they are seeing something that does not in fact exist. All of this, says Descartes, is reason to not regard our senses as certain after all. So in my case, I have to set aside the belief that I'm in my office writing at a gray desk. I can doubt this. It could be an optical illusion, a dream, or a hallucination. Step two, doubting mathematics. Okay, well, maybe math can come to the rescue here. Remember, Descartes was a mathematician. He loved how certain math is. So perhaps I can't have indubitable knowledge that I'm in my office, my senses can be deceived, they're vulnerable to illusions, I might be dreaming. But I can't be under an optical illusion or dreaming about the fact that one plus one equals two or that a square has four sides. These things are true even in my sleep and even when my senses are ambiguous. But then Descartes imagines whether there might be some evil deceiver, an evil being with godlike powers who deceives us at a very deep and radical level. This evil deceiver could deceive us about our senses, about whether or not we're dreaming. And the evil deceiver could also trick us about math. Maybe we just believe mathematical truths like one plus one equals two because the evil deceiver has implanted these beliefs in our mind, but they're not actually true. Two side notes. One, if you've watched The Matrix, you may have recognized the machines are the evil geniuses in the film, except in Descartes' version, there is no outside The Matrix. Everything would seem to you just like it does right now, but none of it would be real. Second side note, please note that Descartes does not actually believe that there is an evil deceiver. He's simply saying that we cannot prove without a doubt that there is not an evil deceiver. And so according to the method of doubt, we should discard all beliefs that could possibly be the result of an evil deceiver deceiving us because we can doubt them. Step three, the indubitable foundation. After all of this, you might be thinking that there is nothing left for Descartes to doubt. If Descartes has rejected basic sensory knowledge and awareness and simple truths of mathematics, is there anything left? Or more problematically, if we've rejected everything we believe in, how could we possibly build back up a foundation of knowledge? However, the one thing that Descartes finds he cannot doubt is that he is thinking. His claim goes something like this. Even if everything about the universe that I think I know is wrong or is a lie, a lie the fact that I am doubting it proves that I have some kind of existence because there has to be a me for me to ask these questions and have these doubts in the first place. Or as Descartes puts it, I think, therefore I am. This is possibly the 17th century's most famous philosophical claim. It's often rendered in Latin cogito ergo sum. Cogito, I think, ergo, therefore, sum, I am. I will just refer to it as the cogito. Now, it's important to not overstate this. Descartes is not saying that he exists as a human or as a body or really give us any details about the kind of existence we have. We simply know that as long as we can think and doubt, we have some kind of existence as a thinking, doubting thing. So Descartes has discovered something certain, a foundation, 
on which to build back up knowledge. And that foundation is that he exists as a doubting thinking thing. Step four, proving God's existence. Well, we found a certain foundation, but honestly, it's not that exciting. So we have some kind of existence. As my grandpa might say, whoopee fizz. It might be nice to have some knowledge of additional things as well, that the external world exists, that it's not a dream, that your family members exist, when your assignments for this class are due, that your surroundings are as they appear through your senses, and so on and so forth. So how are we gonna build back up this edifice of knowledge that we've demolished? The key problem in building back up knowledge is overcoming the idea of the evil deceiver, but that's a pretty tricky thing to overcome. After all, the possibility of the evil deceiver raised doubt about one plus one equals two, and that's a pretty deep level of doubt. Is there a way to overcome the doubt prompted by the evil deceiver? Descartes thinks yes, there is. We need to prove the existence of a good and perfect God. After all, he reasons that if a good and perfect God exists, this God would not let us be systematically deceived. If this God exists, then this God would prevent any possible evil deceiver from deceiving us. Descartes gives a couple of arguments for God's existence. We won't consider them in great detail, but they go something like this. First, the causal argument. Premise one, all effects are caused by something, including ideas. Premise two, the cause has to have as much reality as the effect. Actually, a sidebar. On this point, Descartes is relying on a more ancient understanding of reality, according to which some kinds of reality are greater than others. Think like Anselm and the ontological argument and the idea that existence in reality is better than existence in understanding. We in the modern world tend to think, if you have reality, it's just reality, and there's not reality that's more real and greater, and then reality that's less real and not so great. Premise three. I have an idea of God, the idea of an infinite and perfect being. Premise four. This idea of God is in effect, so it must have been caused by something. Premise five. I am finite and imperfect. I could not be the cause of the idea of an infinite and perfect being. Premise six. Only an infinite and perfect being could cause such an idea, i.e. the idea of an infinite and perfect being. Conclusion. Therefore, God, an infinite and perfect being, actually exists. Okay, we're going to go ahead and consider the next argument, but I will loop back and say a few things about the causal argument. The next argument is known as the argument from perfection, and it is a version of the ontological argument, which you should remember from Anselm. Premise one. I have the idea of God as a being that is fully perfect. Premise two. Existence is a kind of perfection. Premise three. If the God I was thinking about lacked existence, then God would not be perfect. Four. Hence, if I can have the idea of a perfect God, then existence must be one of God's properties. Premise five. If existence is one of God's properties, then God exists. Therefore, conclusion, God exists. Okay, so we're not going to evaluate these arguments in great detail, but suffice it to say that many, probably most, people are not very convinced by them. In particular, 
you should wonder why Descartes is so confident that the premises of these arguments cannot be doubted, which in turn means that the conclusion that God exists cannot be doubted either. Yet he was willing to doubt, for instance, that one plus one equals two. If an evil deceiver can deceive you about simple mathematical truths, why can't an evil deceiver deceive you about principles like the cause has to have as much reality as the effect, which remember was premise, the premise two above um, in the causal argument. So it seems that Descartes' method of doubt is so effective that it undermines his own attempt to build up the foundation of knowledge. Step five, building on the foundation. Okay, so even though most people think Descartes is unsuccessful in showing God's existence to be indubitable, let's grant for the sake of argument that he is able to prove that God exists with full certainty. How would God's existence help us know with certainty that the external world exists, that we're not just being deceived in a dream or hallucinating, that math is true, so on and so forth? Descartes reasons that if God exists, and God is perfect, not a deceitful God, but a perfect and good God, then God has created our minds, and surely when we reason correctly with the minds God gave us, we must be able to find and believe the truth. Did the project succeed? Having seen how Descartes' method of doubt is supposed to work, was his project successful? Did he manage to successfully demolish all of his beliefs and build back up an edifice of knowledge containing only true and certain beliefs? Well, no, most people think the project clearly did not succeed in this sense. As discussed above, Descartes' project relies crucially on proving the existence of a good and perfect God, but most people regard the arguments he gives as able to be doubted, in which case they don't meet the criteria Descartes set out for himself of indubitability. Still, philosophy is a discipline where even quote-unquote failed projects can be successful in other ways. For instance, Descartes' project posed a question and a task that preoccupied, like, to an obsessive level, many philosophers after him, namely the project and task of proving a sure and certain foundation for knowledge. Furthermore, we can learn even from failures. Another lesson to take from Descartes' project is that if we embrace radical skepticism and doubt, questioning literally everything, well, we're going to be unable to prove our way back to knowledge. In other words, one lesson you might take from Descartes is that you cannot do philosophy in a void, setting aside literally everything you believe and then trying to reconstruct a true and certain foundation of beliefs. You must always retain some of your beliefs and you must always start from somewhere. Since if you pitch everything out the window, you lose even your ability to reason about truth and falsity and distinguish true and false beliefs from one another.